Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today's message comes from the Old Testament reading of Genesis chapter 1 and 2, as you heard a few moments ago. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, how many of you have a name? Perfect. Today's message is for you. Really, we could ask ourselves this. What's in a name? The other week I was talking with someone and, and names and their meanings came up. And, and I remember saying, I mean, I know what my name means, but my kids, I don't, I don't really remember. Apart from Micah, which, you know, him and Jonah, I mean, they're from the Bible, but what do their names actually mean? I, I kind of had forgotten what about you? Do you know what your name means? Do you know what your children's names mean? And did you pick that name because of the meaning? Or did you pick the name because you liked it? Or was there some other reason? What's in your name? I know that my name means from the valley. And I remember being in this Christian bookstore a long time ago, and they had, you know, all these little cards with your name and the meaning, and I just remember seeing mine there. But also, I know that I was also named after my mom's grandfather. Right? So I was named after my great-grandfather. And sometimes names run in the family. Right? And so you can be named after someone else in your family. When I think about our kids— well, we certainly chose all of their names because we liked them. None of the names run in our family. And so looking at their meanings, I was reminded of Micah's, which, of course, I remembered after the fact that his name means who is like God. And then our other biblical name of Jonah means dove, which I have no connections to doves, so for sure we didn't choose it based on the meaning. Finally, there's ivy, that climbing plant also not chosen because of the meaning. In Genesis today, we see that man is created. Man and woman, male and female, we know them as Adam and Eve. But we don't get Eve's name until Genesis chapter 3. So we'll have to save that for next week. Genesis 1 tells us that man and woman are created on the sixth day. And Genesis 2 takes that sixth day of creation, and it gives us more detail on how exactly man and woman actually came to be. We know that man is created first, and the Hebrew word for man is Adam, or Adam. And Adam's name comes from where he was created, because Adam is created from the Adama, which is the earth, the ground. Now we heard at the end of the sixth day that God's creation was very good. But before we get to the end of that day, there is a point when God says it is not good. And that's because the man is alone. 
So loneliness of man is declared not good. And what does God do? He creates woman. Wrong. That's not actually what happens. Right? In fact, God brings all of the land animals and the sky animals to Adam to see what he would call them, what he would name them. And so Adam gets the distinct job of naming all the animals. So why is a hippopotamus a hippopotamus, and a pelican a pelican, and a zebra a zebra? It's because that's what the man decided. So Adam names them all, but there was no suitable helper found for him amongst all of these animals. Now I do find it interesting that God brings all of these animals to Adam, right? And they go through this process of naming them all, Yet God knew that no suitable helper was going to be found for Adam because he is God, because he is all-knowing. Yet Adam still went through that journey. We could say that maybe this is God giving man the freedom to pursue his own fulfillment, knowing full well that the only suitable helper to be found is the one in which God provides. And that's exactly what happens. So the Lord God caused deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed, it up, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And this act of creation here is different than all the others. Because for most of the first few days of creation, God made something from nothing. And then he made man from the dust of the ground and breathes life into him. And here, he literally takes a piece of Adam's side and makes, fashions it, builds this woman from that piece, that rib and brings her to the man. And that piece of him that was missing, even though God had closed it up, I mean, it was still missing. It was still there. And when God brings the woman to the man, it's like that piece of him has returned. And that's why everything is very good. And that's why these two become united as one. The two become one flesh because the man is made whole again. And that's why the woman is the suitable helper, the complement, the missing piece of him because she was created for him. And in marriage, she is brought back to where she belongs, where God would give great blessings great blessings of sex and children. And that's what we see when all is said and done, because the two of them are naked together, and they're completely vulnerable in front of other, one another, and they feel no shame. But they also didn't know any different, because everything now was very good. It was perfect. There's no reason to feel any shame. But that perfection doesn't last very long. And we'll see that next week when we look at Genesis chapter 3. Because what happens is, when everything is perfect, even if 
you would describe it maybe not as perfect, but as very good, Satan is going to attack that perfection. He's going to attack that goodness. He is there to attack God and his goodness and his creation. That's you, and that's me. And we are similar to Adam and Eve, because in our lives, God gives us the freedom to make decisions on our own, to see where we will find fulfillment, just like Adam having the animals brought to him. And God knows that the decisions that we make in life, most of them will not bring us fulfillment, at least not bring us eternal fulfillment. I mean, we might find fulfilling things for a short time. We'll find the fruit that is pleasing to the eye, good for food, good for gaining wisdom. But for the most part, it doesn't last. Because we often look at things and look to things apart outside of God to be fulfilled in. We look to our jobs, our careers, where we can make a name for ourselves. We look to other people to give us worth and value. We surround ourselves with stuff, things that we think will satisfy our loneliness. But it can never fill the hole that's inside of us that only God can fill. We try and do everything that we can on our own, make our own choices and decisions, but ultimately, they're selfish and sinful because we are selfish and sinful. And that has been passed down to us from that first man and woman, Adam and Eve. And so we, just like them, we eat that forbidden fruit. And as they say, forbidden fruit creates many jams. We find ourselves in trouble every time we try and take God out of the equation. When it comes to living our lives, when it comes to the choices we make, when it comes to figuring out the direction our lives should take. Do you think that the world, our sinful flesh, and the devil want you to be in worship? Do you think that they want you to read the Bible? And so if you've been planning on starting this two-year reading plan and, well, you're already behind, do you think that they're going to say to you, it's okay, you got two years to catch up? Until two years passes and you're in the exact same spot. Or, you know, you don't need to spend time in God's Word every day until you never spend any time in God's Word. Do you think they want you to be committed to supporting this congregation and the ministries here? Do you think they want you to give your hard-earned money to a congregation that you don't know whether or not you can trust? We are here at Peace Lutheran Church. And I wasn't here so long ago, so I don't know the history of why peace was the name chosen for the congregation, but it's possible that some of you sitting here do. But sometimes you might take a look from the inside. Or maybe you might take a look from the outside, looking in, and think, 
man, there's not a whole lot of peace here. Some days, that's true. Because Satan is at work in this place. And he is here to create as much chaos, to create as much division, to create anything but peace that he can. And our sinful nature, our sinful flesh, is at work in this place. And we create chaos and division and anything but peace. And we have the world telling us that we're crazy to believe in the Bible, to believe that God actually created the world and everything in it, including people. Because people can be terrible. And they can do some pretty terrible things. And if God is so loving and he is so caring, and if he is who we believe that he is, then how or why would he let these terrible things happen in the world? So you, being here at Peace Lutheran Church, it's a waste of your time. Because there's no peace here. And you're never going to find peace. And you know what? The devil, the world, our sinful flesh, they're kind of right. Because left on our own, with just one another, with our sinful selves, there won't be any peace. What there is is conflict and chaos and division and anger and hatred and pride and greed and envy and gossip and a whole lot of selfishness. And all of that is a result of our sin and our sinful actions and this sinful nature that we've been born with. And it's all of us, because we have all sinned. And it only leads in one direction. It leads to death. And it's not just physical death, which is the punishment of eating that forbidden fruit, but it's also eternal death. It's hell. It's being forever separated from God. And it's what we all deserve because we have all sinned. Think of it like this. How many of you can say that you and how you've made a name for yourself have nothing to be ashamed of? That you could stand up here completely vulnerable and feel no shame. Or to put it in a different way, how many of you can stand here as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ, and say that you have never acted in a shameful way while you were a part of Christ's body? And say that you have never acted in a shameful way to one of Christ's members, or to Christ, the bridegroom himself? Do you all have a name? Yeah, you do. And that name is Sinner. And the picture of man and woman in marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. Now, God's original plan for marriage was perfect. But we know it didn't last long. We'll hear about that next week. And we see in the gospel reading that divorce is not really what he wanted for marriage either. But sin has ruined everything. 
And so here we are. We're children of divorced, of divorce. We're divorced people ourselves. Or we know someone within our family who has gone through this, which makes sense with the divorce rate being around 50%. And as the bride of Christ, when we sin, it's like we're cheating on Christ. I mean, he wants us to love him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we don't. And we can look at ourselves and we see the name sinner. And we look at ourselves. And maybe even with, in the context of what our names mean. And in my sin and in my life, there are days when I feel like I'm in the valley. I am in the valley of the shadow of death. And I put myself there because of my sin, because of my sinful actions my shameful acts. I do not deserve to stand before God in any capacity whatsoever. And if I did, all I would feel is shame. Who is like God? I definitely know that on most days, I am not like God. Most days, I am the complete opposite of God. But that doesn't mean that God cannot make something out of a bad situation. That God can make something out of nothing. A nothing like me. If anyone can, God can. It was on the sixth day that loneliness of man was declared not good. And it's during the deep sleep from Adam's side that a helper, a bride, comes comes from the workings of God himself. And many, many years later, it is on the sixth day, a Friday, that Jesus enters his deep sleep of death. As he dies, it is from Christ's side that God extracted from him blood and water in order to make a bride, a church, for his son Jesus. And Jesus became the helper for his bride, the church, for you and me. And he is the one who is the upholder of all of our lives. And it is in his resurrection from the dead where he proves that he has conquered sin, our sinful flesh, death, hell itself, and the devil. And in sending his Holy Spirit to give us the gift of faith to believe in him, he also gives us the power to live for him to love him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength because he has first loved us. And like the blood and water that poured from his side, it is a beautiful picture of God's love and grace for us. God gives us water and blood as another means of his grace. In the waters of baptism, he claims us as his dearly loved children, washes us clean, forgives us of our sins, clothes us with his righteousness, with his perfection. And he gives us his blood and his body, his forgiveness and salvation and life in his supper. And he does all of this so that on the last day when he returns again, 
we will be able to stand before him completely vulnerable and unashamed because he has made us a saint. No more a sinner. And Christ the groom will welcome you, the bride, into his marriage feast in heaven that has no end. And it's all because of the only name that matters. The name that is above all other names. And that name is Jesus. Because he is the savior of his people. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.